Good morning, people of God. This is Apostle Shirley Evans, another day. Thank God for life. Thank God for uh, peace. It's 8.08 a.m. Today is Tuesday, September 29th, 2020. We just bless the Lord for loving us, taking care of us, and let us give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ, his son. And now let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks. So Father, we give you thanks today. Not by our might, Father, not by our power, but by your spirit, said the Lord. You have your way as you're going to teach us again today with a lesson, lessons from Matthew chapter 9. That's the chapter we're going in today. And of course, the Holy Spirit has given me prophetic songs or worship. And he inhabits the praises of his people. And yesterday, I, I remember when I was sending out the message, I could see something and then I heard the song. And um, by the end of the day, I realized in Nassau, Bahamas, there was a double murder, a homicide. <sighs> Terrible. But what got me last night was, I think it was a week ago when I was sending the message, the spirit of travail came over me for the children. For life. And so this morning, as I stepped out here, I heard the song, Sweet hour of prayer, Sweet hour of prayer, That calls me from a world of care, And bids me at my father's throne make all my wants and wishes known in seasons of distress and grief my soul has often found relief and of escape the tempter's snare 
by thy return, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, thy wings shall my petitions bear to him whose truth and faithfulness engaged the waiting soul to bless and since he bids me seek his face believe his word and trust his grace i'll cast on him my every care and wait for thee sweet hour of prayer this is a time to seek the face of God. This is the time to be in that room of prayerfulness. This is a time for the intercessors to wake up. This is a time for the prayer warriors to get back on the wall. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escape the tempter snare by thy return sweet hour of prayer sweet hour of prayer sweet hour of prayer may i thy consolation share till from mount pisgah's lofty height i view my home and take my flight in my mortal flesh i'll rise to seize the everlasting prize and shout while passing through the air farewell farewell sweet hour of prayer people of god this is the time where you need to know where your hope is built this is a time when we need to know where our faith, do we have a resting place? Is our faith shaky or it 
is it at rest? The songwriter penned the song, my faith has found a resting place, not in a man-made creed. I trust the ever-living one that he for me will plead. I need no other evidence. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and rose again for me. Enough for me that Jesus says, this ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He will not cast me out. I need no other evidence. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and rose again for me. And so we, we need a hiding place. We, we need to know where our faith is resting, who it's resting on. Is it Jesus or the things of the world? We need to, as I said the other day, we need to be ready. We need to be ready because the enemy is going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so I know the times I'm saying, you know, you, you need to have Jesus. I sound like a scorch record, but I'm not a scorch record. We need to know we have him. Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay, come in to my heart, Lord Jesus. And anyone who's getting this message, if you have not invited him into your heart, the Bible say, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. All you have to ask him to forgive you of your sins and ask him to come in, he will. That's how much he loves you. And that love will not let you go. It will not let you go. The songwriter penned a song, Oh love, that will not let me go. No matter where you are, what position you are in he came for sinners and that love will never let you go it will never never let you go for it reaches to the highs 
mountain and it flows to the low is my valley oh the blood that gives me strength from day to day it will never lose its power and you can hear in my voice that I, you know, I'm really in, <sighs> it's difficult when we hear someone die, but it's worse when we hear, why should you die before your time? And a young life cut down just like that. I might sound a little bit off this morning, but we need, all need to go a little, a little bit off. Jesus, 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 what a wonder you are. Oh, Jesus, we need to cry out to him. What a wonder you are. You beautiful rose of Sharon, what a wonder you are. You're the beautiful rose of Sharon. What a wonder you are. Oh, Jesus, what a wonder you are. And God says, this love will never let you go. Oh, love, that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee i give thee back the life i owe that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer That forest all my way, I yield my flickering torch to thee. My heart restores its borrowed ray, hey, that in thy sunshine's blazed stay may brighter, fairer. Be, oh joy, that seeketh me through pain. I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be. O cross that lifteth up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red like that shall end less be 
Last week, that message I sent out, Rachel, that's a woman, was in Rama, weeping and wailing for her children. But the word of God said, in other words, don't weep anymore. Your children is going to come back from the enemy in the meantime. In Jesus' time, in the beginning, from Genesis, they were trying to kill the children. Let's not slack our riding in prayer. And let's stay in the room, in the room, in the spirit of prayer. We don't have to stay in a physical room. Anywhere. It's a spirit of prayer. In this very room, there's quite enough love for one like me. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for one like me. And there's quite enough hope and quite enough power to chase away any gloom for jesus lord jesus is in this very room in this very room there's quite enough love for all of us and in this very room there's quite enough joy for all of us and there's quite enough hope and quite enough power to share wherever we go for jesus lord jesus is in this very room in this very room there's quite enough love for all the world and in this very room there's quite enough joy for all the world and there's quite enough hope and quite enough power to reach to all the earth for jesus lord jesus is in this very room he can only be in this very room if you invite him to come in that very room into your heart so we thank god that he is in the room and we're going to speak about him today who is in this very room we're going to matthew chapter 9 verse 1 to 8 and it declares it says 1 to 8 it speaks about Jesus still doing miracles Jesus healed a crippled man verse 1 in Matthew 9 and he entered into the ship and passed over and came into his own city and Behold, I brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, 
said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, they didn't speak it out loud, they said within themselves, this man blaspheme it. Or they said it among themselves, this man blaspheme it. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, I told you they were saying it within themselves. Jesus knew their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? Uh-huh, evil in your hearts. For whether it is easy to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, then said he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. What an awesome God. What an awesome Jesus. His own town was Capernaum, a good choice for Jesus' base of operations. You know, there are some people who live in Nassau, which is their base, but then they go to other parts of the world to minister as sent by God. It was a wealthy city due to fishing and trade, situated on the Sea of Galilee in a densely populated area. Capernaum housed the Roman garrison that kept peace in the region. The city was a cultural melting pot, greatly influenced by Greek and Roman manners. Dress, they dressed in a certain way. Their architecture was in a certain way and politics. Verse 2, among the first words Jesus said to the paralyzed man were your sins are forgiven well you know that didn't make no sense to people around them they talking about you see the man paralyzed and you're going to say your sins be forgiven then he healed the man first he forgave his sins then he healed the man we must be careful not to con concentrate on god's power to heal physical sickness more than on his power to forgive spiritual sickness in the form of sin. Jesus saw that even more than physical health, this man needed spiritual health. Spiritual health comes only from Jesus's healing touch. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And all oh, the joys that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know. He touched me and made me whole. Both the man's body and his spirit were paralyzed. Body was paralyzed and spirit was paralyzed. He could not walk, and he did not know Jesus. 
but the man's spiritual state was Jesus's first concern. If God does not heal us or someone we love, we need to remember that physical healing is not Christ's only concern. A lot of time I said, hey, people talk about, oh, I don't want them to take off my legs because I got to go to God just like this, go to God like that with your legs on and your sins not forgiven. No, it's better to go to God with all your legs off once you've accepted Jesus and your name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. We will all be completely healed in Christ's coming kingdom. But first, we have to come to know Jesus. Blaspheming is claiming to be God and applying his characteristics to yourself. There's many people in the world, they claim to be God. As a matter of fact, a lot of people go around bragging that they're little gods. And their attitude and their pride say they're little gods. Blaspheming is claiming to be God and applying his characteristics to yourself. The religious leaders rightly saw that Jesus was claiming to be God. What they did not understand was that he is God and thus has the authority to heal and to forgive sins. It's easy to tell someone his sins are forgiven. It's a lot more difficult to reverse a case of paral paralyze someone who is paralyzed. It's difficult to reverse the case of paralysis. Jesus backed up his words by healing the man's legs. Jesus' action showed that his words were true. He had the power to forgive as well as to heal. You know talk is cheap, but our words lack meaning if our actions do not back them up. But he had the power. He certainly had the power. We can say we love God or others, but if we are not taking practical steps to demonstrate that love, our words are empty and meaningless. How well do your actions back up what you say? Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 to 13. Jesus now calls Matthew. Verse 9. And Jesus passed forth from thence. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye, 
and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Very interesting. Very interesting in today's world. A born-again believer who calls himself a Christian. Sitting among unrighteous men or women, bringing them to your house, and you're eating with them. The religious Pharisees would say, how come she could be eating with them? But that was love. Didn't matter whether they were Christians or non-Christians. The Pharisees, they were a bunch of hypocrites. Matthew 9 and 9 says, Matthew was a Jew who was appointed by the Romans to be the area tax collector. He collected taxes from the citizens as well as from merchants passing through town. We now pay taxes in the Bahamas. Tax collectors were expected to take a commission on the taxes they collected, but most of them overcharged and kept the profits. Thus, tax collectors were hated by the Jews because of their reputation for cheating and because of their support of Rome. There's nothing new under the sun. When Jesus called Matthew to be one of his disciples, Matthew got up and followed, leaving a lucrative career. Would you do that? If you show, if you show it's God, would you do that? When God calls you to follow or obey him, do you do it with as much abandon as Matthew? He abandoned everything. Sometimes the decision to follow Christ requires difficult or painful choices. Like Matthew, we must decide to leave behind those things that would keep us from following Christ. It's not an easy road, but Jesus goes with us and he's with us. When he visited Matthew, Jesus heard his own reputation because he was Jesus. And he's visiting a crooked tax collector because Matthew was cheating. So he, he really hurt his reputation. Matthew was cheating the people, but Jesus found and changed him. When we're out of order, Jesus will find us and he will change us. We should not be afraid to reach out to people who are living in sin. God's message can change any, anyone. The Pharisees constantly tried to trap Jesus and they thought his association with these, I mean, low-down people was the perfect opportunity. They were more concerned with their own appearance of holiness than with helping people, with criticism than encouragement, 
with outward respectability than practical help. But God is concerned for all people, including the sinful and the hurting ones. The Christian life is not a popularity contest. It isn't. Following Jesus' example, we should share the gospel with the poor, the immoral, the lonely, and outcast, not just the rich, moral, popular, and powerful. Those who are sure they are righteous can't be saved because the first step in following Jesus is acknowledging our need and admitting that we don't have all the answers. Can I say that again? Those who are sure that they are righteous can't be saved because the first step in following Jesus is acknowledging our need and admitting that we don't have all the answers. Jesus now speaks about fasting. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 to 17 declares, Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft? But thy disciples fast not. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. No man put a piece of new cloth unto an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up, take it from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. Both are preserved. That's about fasting. John's disciples fasted. In other words, they went without food. Now some people, some denomination, Easter time or whenever, they would say they're fasting, and they would say they're fasting from smoking and fasting. Listen, let's go back to the Word of God. John's disciples fasted. They went without food. As you sign, see the sign that what I just said, some denomination, like Easter time, they say they're fasting. They're fasting from drinking alcohol. They're fasting from fornication. They're fasting from cigarette smoking. That's not fasting. John's disciples fasting. They went without food as a sign of mourning for sin and to prepare for the Messiah's coming. Jesus' disciples did not need to fast because he is the Messiah and was with them. Jesus did not condemn fasting because he himself fasted. He emphasized that fasting must be done for the right reasons. John the Baptist's message was harsh and it focused on law. When people look at God's law and compare themselves to it, 
they realize how far they fall short and how badly they need to repent. Jesus' message focused on life, the result of turning from sin and turning to him. John's disciples had the right start, but they needed to take the next step and trust in Jesus. Where is your focus? On law or on Christ? Where? Where is it? On the law or on Christ? The arrival of the kingdom of heaven was like a wedding feast with Jesus as the bridegroom. His disciples, therefore, were filled with joy. It would not be right to mourn or fast when the bridegroom was present. In Bible times, wine was not kept in glass bottles, but in goat skins sewn around edges to form watertight bags. New wine expanded as it fermented, stretching its wine skin. After the wine had aged, the stretched skin would burst if more new wine was poured into it. New wine, therefore, was always put into new wineskins. Jesus did not come to patch up the old religious system of Judaism with its rules and traditions. He didn't come to patch it up. If he had, his message would have damaged it. His purpose was to bring in something new, though it had been prophesied for centuries. This new message, the gospel, said that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came to us to offer all people forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. The gospel did not fit into the old, rigid, legalistic system of religion. It didn't fit. It needed a fresh start. The message will always remain new because it must be accepted and applied to every generation. When we follow Christ, we must be prepared for new ways to live, new ways to look at people, and new ways to serve. Now we're going to go to Matthew chapter 9, where he raises Jairus' daughter. We're going to read from verse 18 to verse 30. No, we're going to read from verse 18 to Verse 26, while he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come, and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood, twelve years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, in her heart, she said it, he heard it. For she said within herself, <clears throat> if I may but touch his garment, I shall behold. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith had made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. Faith is so important. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, 
he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleep it. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose, and the fame hereof went abroad into all that land. I just read from Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 to 26. Here is Jesus doing another miracle. Yet, most of them did not believe. Mark and Luke say this man's name was Jairus. As rule of the synagogue, Jairus was responsible for administration, looking after the building, supervising worship, running the school on weekdays, that's a lot of work, and finding rabbis to teach on the Sabbath. This woman had suffered for 12 years with bleeding. Maybe it was a menstrual, she had a menstrual disorder, maybe. In our times of desperation, we don't have to worry about the correct way to reach out to God. Like this woman, we can simply reach out in faith. He will respond. She reached out in faith from her heart. She never opened her mouth. Jesus heard what she said in her heart. And Jesus, her faith, made a whole. She said in her heart, if I could just but touch the hem of his garment, those millions of people that was around Jesus, it was not a physical touch. It was a spirit-to-spirit -spirit touch. Yes, that's the power of God. God changed a situation that had been a problem for years. Like the leper and the demon-possessed men, as we read a few days ago, this diseased woman was considered unclean. For 12 years, she too had been one of the untouchables and had not been able to lead a normal life. But Jesus changed that and restored her so he can do the same for us. Sometimes we are tempted to give up on people or situations that have not changed for many years. God can change what seems unchangeable, giving new purpose and hope. I said to you, it's the Holy Spirit that draws us to Jesus. And when that time comes, the bait will be swallowed by the fish. And the word of God will clean the fish. When Jesus said to Peter, I will make you to become fishes of men. So, the Holy Spirit will woo us. And finally, we will make a decision and say yes. And we will have an insatiable thirst for the Word of God, which the Word of God will clean us. Now you are clean through the Word. Abide in me. The synagogue ruler didn't come to Jesus until his daughter was dead. 
waited until his daughter was dead before he came to Jesus. It was too late for anyone else to help. But Jesus simply went to the girl and raised her. In our lives, Jesus can make a difference when it seems too late for anyone else to help. He can bring healing to broken relationships, release from addicting habits, unforgiveness and healing to emotional scars. If your situation looks hopeless, remember that Christ can do the impossible. All things are possible. Only believe. Son of David was a popular way of addressing Jesus as the Messiah because it was known that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. This is the first time the title is used in Matthew. Jesus' ability to give sight to the blind was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 18. And Isaiah chapter 29, verse 18, I'll go there. In this very room, there's quite enough room for all of us. And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. So it was prophesied a long time ago. We're going to go to where Jesus didn't respond immediately to the blind man's please. And so we did read about when Jesus departed thence, two blind men, that's verse 27, followed him crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind man came to him. And Jesus said unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And the eyes were opened. And Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know this. But they when, were de when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. Jesus didn't respond immediately to the blind man's pleas. He waited to see if they had faith. Not everyone who says he wants help really, really believes God can help them. Jesus may have waited and questioned these men to emphasize and increase their faith. When you think that God is too slow in answering your prayers, consider that he might be testing you as he did the blind men. Do you believe that God can help you? Do you really, really want his help? These blind men were persistent. You know, we talk about persistent prayer. 
they went right into the house where Jesus was staying. They knew Jesus could heal them. How did they know? They, they would have heard people talking about Jesus. And they would let nothing stop them from finding him. That's real faith in action. If you believe Jesus is the answer to your every need, don't let anything or anyone stop you from reaching him. Jesus told the people to keep quiet about his healings. Don't let nobody know. He told them to be quiet about his healings because he did not want to be known only as a miracle worker. He healed because he had compassion on people. But he also wanted to bring spiritual healing to a sin-sick world. Jesus also healed a, a mute. Matthew chapter 9, verse 32 to 34. And as they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casted out devils through the prince of the devils. The Pharisees said, Everywhere Jesus went, someone was just persecuting him. And so here's the Pharisees. When Jesus was on earth, demonic forces seemed especially active. Remember? When he went to the grave, um, the gatherings, the demons, I'm sure, as I said the other day, that those disciples were scared, afraid, afraid. Although we cannot always be sure why or how demon possession occurs, it causes both physical and mental problems. In this case, the demon made the man unable to talk. That was a dumb demon, a dumb spirit. Verse 34, the Pharisees accused Jesus of four different sins. First, blasphemy, befriending outcasts, impiety, and serving Satan. Matthew shows how Jesus was maligned by those who should have received him most gladly. See, that's why the Bible says a prophet is not without honor, saving his own hometown, and Jesus couldn't do many mighty works because of their unbelief. They should have received him, but they didn't. Why did the Pharisees do this? Jesus bypassed their religious authority. He weakened their control over the people. He challenged their cherished beliefs. He exposed their insincere, insincere motives. While the Pharisees questioned, they questioned, they debated and dissected Jesus, they pull him apart, pick him apart. While they did that, people were being healed and lives changed right in front of them. So when 
Jesus is using you or working through you, you're going to be persecuted. But stay focused and do what God has called you to do. Their skepticism was based not on insufficient evidence, but on jealousy of Jesus' popularity. Verse 35, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus' compassion. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. The other day, I one of the messages that I sent, it was a slip of the tongue when I said, the sheep look after the, the shepherd. No, I meant the shepherd takes care of the sheep. I apologize. It was a slip of the tongue. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I read from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. The good news of the kingdom was that the promised and long-awaited Messiah had finally come. His healing miracles were a sign that his teaching was true. Jesus needs workers who know how to deal with people's problems. We can comfort others and show them the way to live because we have been helped with our problems by God and his laborers. Ezekiel also compared Israel to sheep without a shepherd. Jesus came to be the shepherd, the one who could show people how to avoid life's pitfalls. Loving shepherd of thy sheep, keep thy lamb in safety, keep. Nothing can thy power stand. None shall pluck thee from thy hand. Where thou leadest, I will go. Walking in thy steps below. Till before thy father's throne. I shall know as I have known. Jesus looked at the crowds following him and referred to them as a field ripe for harvest. Many people are ready to give their lives to Christ if someone would show them how. Jesus commands us to pray that people will respond to this need for workers. Oh, how we need workers today. The harvest is overripe. Often when we pray for something, God answers our prayers by using us. Be prepared for God to use you to show another person the way to him. When I was talking about the harvest, I remember one time, I don't know if it's a fourth missionary journey because I wasn't counting anymore. 
but he sent me into Nassau Village. Ah, oh, and he had just blessed me with a car. Oh, after walking and walking, now I'm getting blessed with a car. Now, your next assignment is Nassau Village. I ne I'd never been in Nassau Village. When I got in the Nassau Village, I was like, Lord, I must be John the Baptist in the wilderness. Are you sure you sent me here? And you just blessed me with this car? After those years I was walking and catching the bus? Nassau Village. Be prepared because you don't know where, what part of the harvest field he's going to send you. But if you totally yielded to him, I'm telling you, he will have you blanket and protected as you go in the field to win souls. And so I pray today, we're going to stop here, but I pray today that when you hear the voice of God, because you will, he knows you by name. He knows your name. And when you do hear him call you, at the beginning, you're not going to be sure it's him. Because remember, Samuel, Samuel was only the only voice in that temple he was accustomed to was Eli. And God was calling him. He thought it was Eli. He, that was a familiar voice. He thought it was Eli. And God called him. He ran to Eli, thinking that Eli called him. Eli said, you know what? Go back and lay down and listen to that voice again. And when God called him, Eli said, Samuel, run right again to Eli. Eli, yes, you call me. Eli said, no, I didn't call you, my son. Lie down again. I see Samuel, he didn't know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. But the next time he laid down, Eli said, when you hear that voice again, you say, speak, Lord, for thy servant hear it. So Samuel went and laid down. And God spoke to him. The Lord came. Not only speak, but the Lord came. And stood and called Samuel, Samuel. Samuel answered and said, Speak for thy servant hear it. And then the Lord gave Samuel a message. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the heirs of every one that hear it, that hear it shall tingle. The heirs will tingle. That's what I'm about to do. I went there because I'm saying, many of you who are going to get this message, or who have been getting these messages, God is going to call you out in the vineyard to work for him because the laborers are few. The harvest is plenteous. 
So when you hear his name, you will know that you know because he's going to call you more than once. You think Isaiah is called when Isaiah says, Here, my Lord, um, who will go? And he said, um, Here, my Lord, send me. No, that wasn't his first call. But that was the time from his heart he decided, huh, I surrender all. So yes, you will get the call. And yes, you will answer. Because if you do not answer, you wouldn't rest. He will not give you rest until you get to that yielded, yes, Lord, I'll do what you call me to do. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for this word today. Help us to look unto you, Jesus, who's the author and finish for our faith. I ask you to protect your people, keep them in perfect peace. You promised to do that, whose mind is stayed on you. And Father, may your grace and your mercy overshadow them. Your love is always with them. God bless you. I love you. We didn't ring the bell. I love you and have a blessed day today. Keep safe.